0: I'm talking about you just want to make sure you're with me and uh, and and we are super pumped about this property we 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 had a unanimous recommendation from our board to move forward with this and and we needed a simple majority and we got a 98 percent vote uh, to move forward so we are we are excited about that and what God will do Uh, we, we have some pictures I think of the building in Tiffin that's how it looks from 224 Um, this is Irving who moved back behind the property aways and uh, there's a high bay building in the back which will be our main auditorium the building to the left which also has a pretty high ceiling will be kind of our entryway and then the building out front which is offices will be our children's space and so you'll come in the middle building and then go either way it's it's really kind of just perfect for us it's in the exact location that we were wanting, the growing side of Tiffin. 224, it's right in between the airport and the brand new hospital. We're just strategically wedged right in there. We have a county road to access 224, which is an issue if you buy land along that corridor, and that's county road one, and things are falling into place. The light industrial look, that kind of works for us. That's, That's gonna be our kind of motif, exterior and interior and we just couldn't be more pumped. All right, so that was just Kevin. I thought it'd be good if Kevin
1: down on our main campus gave the news. Um, So like he said, it was, uh, for those who may be visiting this morning or or didn't quite catch this, um, Grace Community Church, which is uh, the main campus down in in Fremont, Ohio, uh, launched us a little over a year ago. March was our year birthday. Um, We're called Grace Point Church because there's a Grace Community Church right over in 51, and uh, we didn't want to be mean and steal their name. Uh, So we named ourselves Grace Point Church, which gives us some interesting uh, strengths and some interesting challenges like this. I have to explain how we are not called Grace Community Church. For five years, Grace Community Church in Fremont has been wanting to plant a campus or put a campus down in Tiffin, and uh, to make an impact there. Uh, And I'll explain a little bit more about that. Um, So what we did is this past year, uh, they've been kind of working it and making sure they got the finances all together. And then this past January, we did what we call Synergize, Growing With Grace. And we did some planning for that, financial commitments from the church saying, hey, what do you guys want to do? How much can we put towards that? And that kind of stuff. Um, And the, the plan was to start the Tiffin Campus sometime between October of this year and September of next year, I think was the plan, and um, Struggle was trying to find a building, and then God just dropped this building right in our laps, uh, and so they're moving forward with that. And we're excited uh, to see what God's doing down here in Tiffin. We're excited about what he's doing up here. We're excited for the fact that we, as um, Grace Point, a campus, can help that campus get launched. We understand what that feels like, what that looks like, and uh, we're excited about doing that. Let me, just a couple things before we get into the message. We are talking about the church blueprint, God's design for our church. Uh, So this kind of plays into it, okay? But first of all, I just want to thank our church family, our members and regular attenders, those who give. When we give financially to Grace Point Church, we really need to understand we're giving financially, because God's commanded us to, and it's an opportunity for us to do that and show our love for him. But we're giving Grace Point Church, to Grace Point Church financially, we're Grace Point Church. okay? So what we're doing is we're taking some of the finances that God has provided us, we're pooling it together to make an impact for Jesus Christ. We're not giving money to the church, to the church, we're giving the money to ourselves. Because we are the church. And so if we can get that shift in our minds, I think we'll understand finances a little bit better. We'll also understand when, when the pastor of the shepherd, <laughs> who's leading and kind of directing us, which would be me at this point, and hopefully others down the road as we grow, but as we're kind of leading directing you guys, we're giving money to us to accomplish what God wants to do in our case, up here in the Toledo area. And God is placed on your hearts, and you have blessed your church family financially. We're, I mean, we are doing great. One of the things that the, the main campus wanted us to do is be able to get to a point where we can kind of fund ourselves, which is a good thing to do, and that's what we're doing. So much so that uh, we're ahead of schedule. We're getting the HVAC taken care of. We talked about that um, I, I didn't tell Mike this, sorry, but uh, I called somebody about checking on a price for our, the seal, take care of our, our parking lot. Um, we, we actually had some extra money, so we bought a bunch of river rock, which some of us spread a couple weeks ago, and that's going to be an ongoing project. All this kind of looking towards August 19th. Anybody know what August 19th is? Yell it out. Party at the Point, man, that's awesome, because I haven't really been pushing that. But yeah, we're in a Party at the Point. We'll talk more about that in the message. Um, so we're trying to we're trying to get our church building to a point that, that it looks good. You know, I mean, not that it looked bad before, but kind of update it, a little contemporization. Um, that's Spanish for contemporizing. Again, <laughs> I don't like to brag about my ability to speak other languages. But anyways... If you came in to the children's ministry, you'll see that there's some painting. Somebody like really messed up our walls. They came in and they started doing some graffiti. Um, but we're having a, a mural painted in there for the kids and uh, doing some other things, just trying to move our church building forward. Why do we do that? We live in a world that's perception-driven, and we can't help it, right? We are. We're perception-driven. So we want to make sure our building looks like people care about our building. And we do care about our building. But we also want to make it look like a place when people come in, it's comfortable. It's, it's not shocking. It's not disturbing. It's not, why would they do something like that? So we're trying to make it in what we call kind of a professional office-y look. So it's kind of a normal look for, our, uh, for, uh, for everybody who walks in. We're used to going into offices, so we're trying to have that look about it. We're only a year and a half into this. Um, there's some unique differences, and I think I feel like I need to express this. Maybe I don't, but I feel like I do. There's some unique uh, differences between Grace Point and Tiffin. And let me just give you a couple of them. First of all, Tiffin has been on the main campus's radar for like five years. They've been pushing for this, working for this, putting their finances together, developing an intern and resident uh, program at the church to develop future leaders uh, for future campuses. Grace Point was an unexpected child. Anybody, maybe we shouldn't confess this, but Kim and I had an unexpected child, Ellie. Uh, We weren't planning on Elizabeth, but suddenly we were pregnant with our third child, and we're like, how did that happen? (laughs) We went and talked to our parents. Anyways, um, so not that we, you know, we obviously love Ellie and we wanted a third child, we just didn't expect her at that point. Same thing with Grace Point when it comes to the main campus. This was, you know, this was an unexpected child. And so what they did is they put things together, and they called me. I was out in Colorado. They called me and said, hey, you want to come back? Because I used to be on a campus, a a pastor down at the the main campus. They said, hey, you want to come back? And we were more than happy to come back to this area. It's kind of where we raised our kids and all kinds of stuff. So we started with 14 original people who were in this building and then 20 people basically who came up from Fremont to help. So we started, added up, 34 people. And now we have over 100 people who call Grace Point their church. We average about 80 to 90, depending on the sun. Obviously in the summertime, people are vacation, all kind of stuff. Tiffin, oh, and then nobody from here was attending Grace Community Church. In the Tiffin situation, there's an estimated 400 people coming from Tiffin up to Grace Community, driving over 30 minutes to Grace Community Church. So what they're hoping is at least 200 of them would help start and launch that campus down there. So they, they have just a larger number of people than we do. They're going to have the same challenges that we've had. Uh, I'm trying to give them some wisdom and discernment as they go forward, having learned a few things up here. Uh, but it's exciting. Um, and the other thing is this, uh, Just double-checking my notes here, the other thing is this, you realize not everyone has been given the ability by God to launch a new church. You realize that? You're sitting here this morning, those are our members and regular attenders, those who are visiting, you're probably thinking, I'm not sure did I make the right choice? What's this guy talking about? Um, just stick with me. I think you'll enjoy what you hear. Um, but if you're a regular attender or a member of our church, God has been working in your life to say, I want to be a part of Grace Point because I want to help a church get launched. I want to help a church get moving forward and reaching people for Jesus Christ. It's not easy. You guys know that. Those who are involved in ministry, for instance, and serving in our church, you realize there are few Sundays maybe that you feel like you get to sit here in the auditorium because you're busy doing stuff. Or you're working on a 95-degree day, moving river rock around, sweating. I'm mean, going to get that picture up here, by the way. I know I'm thinking, I've been debate, debating, because I know some people are really like, oh, pastor, don't put me up on the big screen. Uh, don't do that. I'll just tell everybody who did want their picture seen, close your eyes, and then we'll put it up there. Um, but uh, we're going to do that here in this coming few weeks. So, uh, But I'm excited about what God's doing in our church family. And I'm hoping that through this series and Blueprint, that um, I'm going to be able to share some of those things and express some of those things and uh, kind of high-five our people a little bit. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're actually starting chapter 3, which is kind of, I know, not the center or not the beginning. It's the center. Um, it's page 1186, 80, yeah, 86, if you're using the Pew Bible. And, and as you do, let me just kind of give you a little backstory to 1 Timothy. What's happening here? Paul... Uh, who I think we're all pretty familiar with. He's been traveling around and uh, sharing the gospel in different towns. A lot of them he's being kicked out of. He's being stoned uh, with rocks. I don't mean, you know, something else. He's getting, rocks are being thrown at him. He's being stoned almost to the point of death. He's been arrested. He's been jailed. But he's going around and he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A message that God is offering to restore a relationship with him, through faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who could die for our sins, and that he rose again in order to defeat sin and death, and that we can have that restored relationship with God, our sins forgiven, and a relationship with him. So Paul's going around sharing this message, being abused as he does it and persecuted. And on one of his trips, he meets a young kid named Timothy. Timothy hangs out with him for almost 15 years. And it's kind of an apprenticed journeyman situation. So those of you guys who are in a trade might get this. So Paul has got Timothy with him. Timothy's a young man. He's you know, 10, 11 years old, 12 years old at this point. Don't be all freaked out. At that age, kids were getting married and doing their whole thing, 12, 13 years old, getting married, You know, getting into the trade. So this wasn't unusual. Today we'd be like, <gasps> you know, sending our kid off into the world at 13. So for 15 years, he's with Paul. And now Paul is saying, Timothy, you stay here in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and you pastor this church. You be the spiritual leader and pastor of this church. Because what's happening is, one, there are a bunch of churches being planted all over the known world, all over you know, that area of, in Jerusalem and up into you know, Rome and, and all that kind of stuff. The apostles can't get to all of them. So what they're doing is they're training younger people, giving them God's word, giving them the message of the gospel, giving them the mission of the church, and saying, okay, you stay in this town, and you now are responsible to help that local group of believers to meet the needs and reach that local area for Jesus Christ. So there's a shift in, in how God's doing his work here from moving from apostles who are missionaries to local bodies of believers, local groups of Christians that get together to worship God and live life together, and having them be the ones who accomplish the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ. So the plan that God has for what a church is to look like, how a church is to be designed, how a church is to be built, how, do, uh, how is a, a pastor supposed to lead a church and and um, where do the leaders come from? And what are men supposed to do? And what are women supposed to do? And, and what are they supposed to do in the sense of taking care of the church family? What, how do we do all that? Paul tells Timothy in his first letter, he also tells him in a second letter as well as a letter he wrote to, to Titus, how we're supposed to do that as a church. There's a, a structure to it. There's a, and a purpose behind the structure. And God wants us to understand that so much that he put it into the Bible. Now, the cool thing is, is that it's, it's not real detailed. So it allows the church to be flexible depending on what culture it's in. And it's kind of one of the cool things about how God has designed things, and in this case the church, is that there's, there's structure, but it's flexible. And so we can kind of be flexible and meet the needs of Grace Point Church, for instance, as we put this structure um, at work in our church. Someone once said, who you are is more important than what you do because who you are determines what you do. You get that? Who you are is more important than what you do because who you are will determine what you do. We have to understand as Grace Point Church who we are. Because who we are, and when we come under the authority of God and say, Yes, despite what I think we should be, I'm gonna be who God says we are. It will determine what we do as a church. It will change the way we might even do church. And I see right there, I just do church. Be the church. It'll change. You know, I know there are certain things that I thought a church should have been and should have been doing, but when I was starting to study more about the church and all, it, it changed my concept. It, it changed what I thought we should be doing because of who we are. And that's Paul's point that he makes in chapter 3. And we're looking at chapter 3 because I think we need to have that nailed first before we see anything else and understand anything else that he wants us to do. We need to understand who we are, who God says we are, as the church. Okay, does that make sense. That's not like a fair way of looking at this. All right. Um, and uh, one other thing, uh, I know, and you know, if you've read First Timothy, and those who have been going through it on Thursday nights as a Bible study, know that there's probably some things that we're going to look at over the next five, six weeks. That are going to be a little disturbing. You're going to be, whoa, 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 wait a second. Does this guy live in the 21st century? Okay. Again, it's important to know who we are, and how, and what God has designed us to be in order to know what we are to do and be okay with what we're to do. All right. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Paul gives us what his purpose is, and then he also tells us who we are as a church, who God says we are, because I think it's important to understand that, who God says we are as a church. He says, I'm writing these things to you. By the way, he just got done sharing some very um, controversial, at least for 21st century, some very controversial teaching. That's a little wet your whistle, so this week you'll actually read and see what Paul's talking about in this letter. So I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up. In glory. So, who are we as a church? In those verses, Paul gives two descriptions of who we are, and then we're going to kind of flesh that out a little bit and do some takeaways like we do sometimes. First of all, he says that we are God's family. Pretty cool, right? Where do I get that from? Well, the phrase household of God in the Greek means family of God. When it talks about the household in this sense, it's talking about a family. So like I was saying, when we talk about the church, too often we think of some sort of um, maybe a building or some sort of group of people uh, that like, are in charge of a church or something. And we, we always talk about the church. You know what the church should do? You know, what I think the church should be doing, I don't like the way the church is. I don't like the, right? The church. The church is us. So if someone's saying, I don't like the way the church, well then, you're not liking yourself. I mean, if you're a follower of Christ, right? You're... Yeah. I, I thought I thought I heard a cricket or two, so I was just making sure. Yeah, we're a family of God and we could break into a song right now. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Have I mean, you remember that song? Alright, some of you, okay. Just wanted to freak some of you guys out. Every family has guidelines, right? Rules of the house. So like for me uh, growing up, we had a bunch, and if you didn't if you didn't do them you got spanked. But anyways yeah we had a bunch we were my parents were very strict and that's fine with me i I turned out somewhat okay uh i I mean i I just have a little few ticks but i'm fine i'm just fine so um one of them was when you enter the back door your shoes are off because you don't we could have eaten off my off the kitchen floor as long as we had socks on but you know because i was bare feet but anyways my mom Cleans still to this day at ninety years old, like you would not believe. She is unbelievably clean. She's a little OCD, but that's fine. She, but she, it's awesome. But we could not walk in with our shoes on. You certainly couldn't go into the living room with your shoes on. Take your shoes off. I put up on Facebook. I asked some people, "Hey, give me some of your family things." So here's here's a, a rule. On Friday nights, we had a chance to split a sixteen ounce Pepsi. Who splits a sixteen ounce? You know, all sixteen ounces. Anyways. Split a 60 ounce Pepsi. So whoever poured the other, no wait, whoever poured, the other got to choose which glass to take. So of course the measurements were like, you know, pretty good at that point. You're not going to give your brother or sister more than what you get, right? If my brothers and I told each other to shut up, the one who said it had to be servant of the day and had to do the other person's chores for the entire day. We couldn't even use that phrase in our house. There was no. The rule was, you say it, and your rear end, man, it hurt. Um, Here's one that a very uh, well, a family that we know very well did. This is what my wife did to our kids. If you two, if the two were fighting, she would tie their wrists together for the rest of the day. So they had to do everything together, everything together, you know. So, anyways, we have we have rules for our families. God has rules for his family. He wants us to operate as his church, as his family, in a certain way. He wants us to structure a certain way. He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to operate a certain way. And we're going to be looking at the different roles and responsibilities we have. We're going to be looking at what a pastor's responsibility is, what the men's responsibility is, what the women's responsibility is, um, what our responsibility is to the family in general. And we're going to be looking at these things. Who leads, who teaches, who serves, who, you know, all that we're going to be looking at. Paul's second description is that when we are the family of God, then we'll naturally be his representatives. And this is the majority of our message this morning, and I'll try to work through it here fairly quickly and hit the takeaways. So not only are we... The church, and by the way, the word um, "church" we're going to find out means the called-out ones. That's all it means. But we, as the church, are His family. We're brothers and sisters. So if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, I'm your brother. And if you're a male, you're my brother. If you're female, you're my sister. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're also His representatives. He calls us the church of the living God. God is alive. God is active. He's personal. He's moving in this world. He's moving in people's hearts. How do they know that? How do we know that? Well, because we're the church of the living God. How does the world know that God's alive? His church, his his family. Again, church, called out ones. God's called us out of the world God's taken us out of the system of the world, the way the world thinks, the way the world operates, the way the world responds to life. He's pulled us out of that. He's put us into His family so that now we look like Him. We act like Him. We respond to life the way He wants us to respond to life. My family, you've seen my kids, look a lot like Kim and me. Kim and I look alike, which is kind of interesting. But our kids are almost like, you know, pressed and stamped, right? I could have Hagen come up here. I want to embarrass him. Um, he's only taller than I am. He weighs less, too, but that's besides the point. Let's not get personal. So he, he's taller, but he looks just like me. And, and I was looking for some pictures of my brothers and me. Some of you guys met my, my middle brother on Sunday when he was here a couple of weeks ago. And people said... I said, one person said, well, it's weird because I was walking into church and he was too, but he didn't even say hi to me. And then I realized it wasn't you, Pastor. It was somebody else. It was my brother. We look an awful lot alike. And some people are laughing about how much we sounded alike, um, even more so. I look like and act like my parents. We, as God's family, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, were to look like and were to act like God, like Jesus Christ. So we are the church, the called out ones of the living God, and we are to represent God that way. We, people are supposed to see how we live lives, and if they wonder what Jesus Christ was like, to look at us and say, looks an awful lot like the Jesus Christ that I was reading about in the Bible, because of how we're living. It's, it's a lot for us. So he gives us these three descriptions, and I think he does it to emphasize his point, because it is a... That's a huge calling on us, isn't it? It's kind of almost a little bit of a burden, you might think. So Church of the Living God, secondly, he calls us pillar and support of the truth. Now, the Ephesian Christians would understand what he's trying to say here, because they lived in Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of the goddess Diana. Diana was the, uh, the goddess of the earth. She was the goddess of all life. And I'll let you go look for her statue. I thought it might be a little embarrassing to put it up here in church, you know, we're in church, Um, but she is who the world looked at at the time and said, she is the one who gives life. She is the one that we're going to worship. And so what they did is they built this massive temple, it's one of the seven wonders of the world, with 127 massive pillars that held up the structure. And so when Paul was saying to the Christians in Ephesus, you are the pillar of, of the church or of truth, when he was saying that you're the pillar and support of the truth, their minds automatically run right to the temple of Diana. Those 127 columns were massive. They had jewels in them. Uh, they they were gold. They had gold on them, and they were given by the different kings around the world to show their honor and respect and really their worship of the goddess of life. But Paul just got done saying, you are the called out ones of the living God. So where these people were building some sort of structure to the supposed giver of life, God is saying through Paul to us, if you're a follower of Christ, you are that pillar you are that structure. You're the temple of Jesus Christ. You're my representative. You're alive. Diana didn't even really exist. It was a figment of their imagination. God exists. How, does, how do people know that? Through us. We're the pillar and structure, support of the truth. That's, that's awesome. And just like those pillars reflect, uh, reflected the splendor of, God, of the goddess, our lives are to represent God, to reflect God. And as we live together as a church, family, as we support each other and encourage each other, that's shown, that's seen by others. The last description he gives us is this mystery of godliness. What's that mean? It's kind of, it may be kind of confusing, kind of throws us in here at the end, almost like a poem that Paul puts in there. or Sometimes he ends passages where he just starts worshiping God out of the blue, you know, just overcome by what he's writing and worships God. And and so this is what he kind of does here. Let me break this apart for you real quick. Mystery of godliness, it's not as um, confusing maybe as it first sounds. The word godliness, which Paul talks about quite a bit in 1 Timothy, has this idea of living life like God. So a person who's godly is a person who lives life the way God would want them to live. So godliness is just living life, thinking the way God thinks, living life the way God would want us to. Mystery, that phrase in the New Testament, is referring to an Old Testament secret that's revealed in the New Testament, and it's most often referred to um, Jesus Christ. So there's a mystery in the Old Testament that one day there's going to be a Savior, there's going to be someone who God uses to bless the entire world. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? People in the Old Testament were asking Jesus answers it. God, second person of the Trinity, takes on flesh, lives on this earth, does a bunch of incredible uh, miracles, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, not for his sin but for ours, rises again to defeat sin and death, and ascends to heaven. Almost sounds like kind of what Paul just got done summarizing, right, in verse 16. And so this mystery of godliness is this that a person who is living out that godly life is a person who has found salvation through Jesus Christ. A person who's living out this godly life, and really the only way we can do that, is a person who's been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. So the mystery of godliness, it's great, right? It's a great mystery, And it's a common confession. So anybody and everybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have confessed that faith, have experienced that secret of godliness in their life. And so Paul's point is all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus understands that it changes how we live life, how we respond to life. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live to represent God and that he provides through faith in Christ. It's interesting. I would challenge you to do this. As you're reading the Bible anywhere, look at it and see if it doesn't somehow point to Jesus Christ Old Testament, New Testament. Because anytime the Bible teaches, especially in the New Testament, anytime Paul or Peter or James says, hey, listen, Christians, this is how you're supposed to be living your life, they always point back to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who sums up, or everything is summed up in Jesus Christ. So let me close with a couple takeaways. Takeaway number one, because we're going to flesh this all out, but here's just a couple takeaways. Family takes care of family. Right? I had four older brothers. Most of the time when I got in a fight, I could beat the kids. But when I was teamed up on, I usually took care of one of them, but I couldn't get the other one. I was too tired. I run home bawling my eyes out like a little baby, (laughs) beat up by an older kid. And I go to my, my, you know, I'm crying. A couple brothers run out. What's going on? So-and-so just beat me up. The one next to me in age, he takes off, pulls the kid out of his house and starts beating him. Broke his own hand even. Now, I'm not saying we go, don't hear me say, go out there and beat people up, okay? I'm just trying to make a point here, all right? Pastor said I could do this, (laughs) you know, not saying that, it's bad, wrong, don't do that. Point is, family takes care of family, all right? As Christians, followers of Christ, called out ones, God's family, we are to take care of each other. God is our Father. He's a good Father. He promises to provide and protect and take care of me. He he promises to provide and protect and take care of you guys. And one of the ways he does that is through us protecting and providing for each other. Um, I know we have people in our church who are hurting. And I I know other people who know that. And I know they're making contact with those people. Checking in with them, seeing how they're doing. But I just want to challenge you with a couple things. One is this. If you're going through a difficult time, a lie that Satan will tell you is that you are a burden to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you'll begin to drop out of the life of the church. Now, I'm not saying that if you're going through a difficult time, you need to pull out of ministry, pull out of ministry. But don't pull out of your family. Don't stop coming to church don't start making, stop making contact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you're hurting, don't feel afraid to pick up the phone or text or email or do something. I, unfortunately, we have people who do that in church. We have people who are doing that in our church. We, you can't do that. God doesn't want you to do that. It's not good for you to do that. Your family is here for you. Your family is to protect you and to provide for you and to care for you because we're a child of God. You're a child of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't believe a lie and pull back thinking, well, nobody nobody really cares. We do care. Problem is we don't always know. And if you're here this morning and you're not having a difficult time and you know somebody who is having a difficult time, or you're saying, you know, Pastor, let me know who those people are. We need to be contacting those people. We need to be letting them know we care about them, that we love, about, love them, that we want to do something, whatever it can be, pray for them or provide for them or make meals, whatever it takes. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Meals are always good for me. So, you know, if you guys want to just... I'm not even going through a difficult time, so feel, but feel free. You know. I know it's hard to believe with the way I look. Um. Because here's the other side of it. If you're unwilling to let us know that something's going on, you're not growing in your faith, and we're not able to grow adequately in our faith. If we're not willing to reach out and help somebody, they're not growing in their faith, and we're not growing in our faith. Because God has designed the family to take care of the family. Galatians six two says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, a law of love. We talked about this when we were going through Galatians. Burden and load in in verse five, I didn't read all the way down, but down to verse five it says everyone should manage their own load. Load is your daily responsibilities. And for a lot of us right now here today, we're taking care of our daily responsibilities. It's good. We can handle it. Not a big problem. But then every once in a while, there's a burden placed on us. There's something over and above our daily responsibilities that's too much for us. We can't handle it. And what happens is emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way we get run down. We get burdened. Why? Because it's hard. I haven't lifted weights in like six months. And I went down to the basement the other day and I lifted Oh my word. I'm still sore. Um, but it was it was hard to do. It was difficult. If I had somebody come down there and help me lift the weights with me, that would have been awesome. So I'm calling some people today when I have to lift again. That you guys come over and you can actually help me lift the weights. It'd be a lot easier for me. But we, we get this this thinking that you know Nobody. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. But then we get run down and we get emotionally shot and our mind's not thinking right. We pull away from God. We get depressed. It's just a spiral downward. I've lived it. I know. It's a terrible place to be. So that means Christians then, we need to come over and help that person up. Encourage that person. Strap on with them and work together to help them carry... That burden. We have what we call a prayer and care ministry. Every um, ministry is supposed to have it. The men's leadership group has it. The women's Bible study has it, and it's one of the ways I'm trying for us somehow or another to stay in touch with people. And so, what their responsibility is is you might even get a phone call from somebody you may not even know from our church, and uh, which that'll be a good way to get to know them, um, and say, "Hey, I'm praying for you. Let me know if you need anything." And, and the reason why they're doing that is because we're family. And we want to take care of each other and help each other. And so when they say, hey, can you pray for me? I have this going on. Now we know. This, I don't always know things. And they pass the information on to me too so I can be praying. That's a, a, a tool that we're using within our church, the prayer and care ministry. If you're a part of that, I'm challenging you right now as a group. You better be praying for your people, and you better be contacting your people. Okay? And I'm not patting me on the back. All right? I'm just letting you know that I'm involved with you on that. I pray for at least 13 people a day. Okay? And I'm making regular contact with those people to see how they're doing, to find out is anything I can pray for. If you're a member or a regular attender of our church, you'll get on that list. You're involved in ministry. You'll have several other, maybe several people contacting you. Second takeaway is this. Your involvement with your church reflects, your church family reflects your love for God. Let me say it again. Your involvement with your church family reflects your love for God. When I first thought that, I said, no, I can't put that down because that just, that just seems manipulative because in my mind I started thinking people were going to think well Harold here's just trying to get a bunch of more people to come to the church. I have to be honest with you that's exactly what I'm doing. Not because I want it, but because the Bible tells me, God tells me that that's that's what we're supposed to be doing. One of our reflect one of the ways we re- we reflect that is Sunday morning attendance. Sunday morning getting together and worshipping God together. There's also Thursday nights, Saturday mornings. There's Thursday, uh, children's, there's young adults, there's the fused youth. There's I mean, there's a bunch of different ways we do that. But the, the point is, how we think about our church family and, and how we um, attend is part of our the way we, we love God and, and really reflect him. Jesus says in John 17, 22, and 23, He's praying to God the Father. He says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, his disciples, you and me, that they may be one just as we are one. Oneness happens as we take care of each other. We know each other. It's that intimacy that comes from knowing each other's struggles and helping each other through that. I in them, you and me, and that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know what you, that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What is glory? Glory is any time, God's glory is any time God shows his person or his presence or his power in this world. That's God's glory. Brief way of putting it. His presence, so his person and his power in this world. Jesus reflected that to the world and how he lived and dying on the cross. And then he said what? I've given them that glory. He's given that responsibility to us as Christians to live life in such a way that we glorify God, that we show his presence and his power in our world through us. And together as a church family, that's one of the most powerful representations of God's presence and power in his church. Why? Jesus says, because when the world sees it, they're going to know that he's God, that he came from God. The way you and I care for each other represents to the world, to each other, but to the world, who God is, who Jesus is. And so if you're going through a difficult time, you have to let us do that. And if you're not going through a difficult time, you have to do that. It's all part of it. Because then the world goes, wow, why why are they doing that? Why are they taking care of that person? How did they handle that situation? And we go, because we're awesome. No, we do. So we know we got a great God who provides everything we need to take care of each other. Red Irving is in the hospital right now. He uh, had some more stroke-like symptoms. They're thinking it might be seizures. And I'm only telling you this because it's a great example of what's going on. Um, so he's in the hospital. He, we're not sure if he's going to get out today or tomorrow. Probably not today hopefully tomorrow. His daughter called me to let me know yesterday. Yesterday, I was in the middle of a project and then I had a family party to go to. And um, so then I started shooting out texts and not a whole bunch, just a few, some key people because I felt like if we get somebody up there, great. If not, we can work that out on Sunday. So I'm working on it. I know that Greg Hart has read on his prayer list So I text Greg, hey, can you just touch base with Lisa, his daughter, and see how he's doing? So Greg does that. Touches base. I don't know if he called or texted. I think he called. Touches base because I tried calling Lisa. She didn't answer for me. But anyways, um, now, get this. Now Lisa knows that the paid guy isn't touching base with her anymore because the pastor is paid to do it, right? That's what the things mean. But when somebody who's not paid does it, wow, God is awesome. I asked somebody from our church to go up and visit him today. Because here's the deal, you guys. I do that kind of stuff, and I need to do that kind of stuff. It's one of my responsibilities. But I'm not the only one who does it. The paid guy isn't the only one who does everything. Not even teach. I'm training some guys in order to teach. The family takes care of the family. If you want to go up and see red, I mean, we don't want to have like 500 people showing. Well, I guess we wouldn't. But anyways, we don't want to have a bunch of people necessarily up there, but if you want, I'll give you your room number of where he's at. Because the people who were thinking about doing it may not be able to, so I'm just saying. Lastly is this. I'm going to challenge you to do some things. First of all, when you're in town on a weekend or Thursday night, or your you're a young adult, 18 to 30-year-olds, on a Friday night. Be a part of your church family. Let us be encouraged by your presence. Let us know what's going on in your life. Hopefully people who are out camping this weekend, I get it. I go on vacation too. I get that. You know, Hopefully they'll hear the podcast and be here. But you guys, when we're together, when first-time attenders show up, and this auditorium is full. That's exciting. They look at that, and go, "Wow, things are going on." But if we're just sitting home on a weekend, on a Sunday, we're like, "Eh, man, the weather's nice. I'm gonna go do something else." Man, an hour of your time, come with your family and just encourage each other and be here and help get the energy and things going. You guys did a great job singing this morning, by the way. I saw Caleb's eyes. He was like, "Oh my word, no one's gonna be singing." I was like, "You guys all, that's awesome." It says something. Great job this morning, by the way. You guys doing the music? Man, what awesome. But be here and encourage each other and get the energy and excitement going. Serve so we can meet people's needs. When first-time attenders come, and especially if they have kids, they're going to kind of want to put their kids in some place where a bunch of kids are so you can come in here and focus. We have a responsibility, and I apologize, I'm going way long this morning, but um, we have a responsibility to present the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that does not distract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about the word entrust and what that means. One of the ways we can do that is provide a great place for parents to have their kids so they can hear the gospel and so the parents can focus in. When you guys are serving, impact team, cafe, children's ministry, it's always, tech, music, it's always that we present the gospel in such a way that's not distracting. Because we have that responsibility. So we're encouraging people to serve, to be a part of that, to, to relieve some of the people who are serving Sunday in and Sunday out. We're doing a couple things real quick. The uh, Fremont campus, when they're training people and getting some more people involved, because sometimes they have more people, like for Impact Team, than they know what to do with, said, so send them up to us. We'll take them. We'll get them trained right. We'll send them back down. All right. Lastly, be a part of our prayer and planning and proclamation. August 11th, we've got a prayer retreat. It's going to be a half-day thing. Uh, we're just going to pray and ask God, give us kind of focus and where we need to go for this fall and reach people for Christ. August 26th, we're going to have a brainstorming party for everybody to be a part of. After morning service, grab some food somewhere, come back to church, and we're going to brainstorm how we can impact this area for Jesus Christ. By the way, that's where our finances, majority of our finances, Lord willing, will be going towards is to outreach we've got some people doing barbecues for instance this summer to do that. October 13th there's a spa night for ladies. Sorry guys. We'll have our spa night some other time. <laughs> Anyways, October 30th spa night for the ladies, October 19th party at the point. More information coming on that. August, what did I say? Yeah, I'm just trying to see if you guys are awake. August 19th party at the point and there's other other things that are going to be coming out of this brainstorming party. Be a part of those things. Catch the the passion and the energy that comes out of those things and the excitement that comes out of that. Last thing, again, I apologize for being so long. Last thing is this. There's a wording in Christian circles called fellowship. In fellowship, we think of sitting around eating food together, which I'm not saying anything wrong about that. But in the first century, when they heard fellowship, they heard knowing someone intimately because of the suffering that we're going through together. That's true fellowship. And back then, they were being arrested and killed for their faith. So that group of people praying together so that if someone got arrested, they're praying for that person. If someone was being you know, possibly killed, they're praying. They're just intensely seeking God for the strength and the protection and the power to reach people for Christ. That's their fellowship. That's where our fellowship needs to be, serving together walking through difficult times together. That's God's plan for our church. That's what we're going to be talking about to a certain extent as we move forward a bunch of other stuff too that God has for us. It's awesome to be a part of God's family. And if you've been on either side of those struggles, you know it. You know what I'm talking about. And we need to be focused on doing that. We need to be focused on taking care of each other and representing God in that way. Let's go ahead and stand. And will close. Tell me, Father, I I, uh, I thank you for this morning, and um, I know I've again I know I've gone long, but I just pray that in spite of that, that your message of what the church is supposed to be—that's not just the church—that is we, the church. We are the church. Father, I pray for those that are struggling in our church family that they would not pull away but that they would move forward, get in closer, lean in towards their brothers and sisters in Christ and, and let us help them. Let us have that time of worshiping together through how we live our lives to encourage each other, to help each other, to strengthen each other, to watch you give us the words to say and the, and the things to do in order to encourage. And for those that are struggling, that they would sense that and they would gain that strength and they would allow it in their own lives. Father, I pray that Grace Point Church, your church, would be a church that's known for taking care of its family. And then by doing so, we'll represent the living God who works in the lives of people and will see people come to Christ because of it. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for being here this morning. Enjoy that nice, cool weather out there to make an impact for Christ.